Shalom, shalom, shalom. Barakim habaim, welcome. Welcome to Awakening Torah Musar Mindfulness. <clears throat> I am Rabbi Hasio Oriel Steinbauer, the founder and director of the Institute for Holiness, and I'm delighted that you are joining us today. Whether you are live streaming or uh, through our Zoom channel, please uh, also uh, join on the YouTube channel or any other place on social media where you can find this live streamed. You can also find it later, uh, uh, both at uh, Insight Timer and on our website in the blog section. So we have traditionally been meeting every Sunday, with God's help, at 7.30 p.m. Israeli Standard Time, IDT. <laughs> we are about to embark on a new path together of changing the time in which we meet. So for today, uh, we are live streaming at 9.30 in the morning Israeli time, which means it's 2.30 in the morning Eastern Standard Time. It will be 11.30 p.m. Pacific Standard Time and, of course, all the other time zones in the whole world. Uh, we most likely will not keep it at 9.30. We are experimenting with the times because, the, as you know, the holidays, the Jewish holidays are coming up, the Chagim. And there's going to be a lot of Sundays that um, get interrupted by um, the Chagim. I don't uh, teach or use uh, social media or any method um, during the festivals and Shabbat. So um, it looks like that we might start meeting after Shabbat uh, on Saturday evening, Motzei Shabbat. And uh, for those of you in different time zones, you can either join us uh, before or after, um, and we would be delighted to have you. All this information will be posted later. Uh, on the website, uh, also um, social media, and you're welcome to look up the information there. So what are we covering today? This is a very exciting moment for all of us. This is the last of the parshiot, the last of the Torah portions from the Hebrew Bible. Before the new year on the Jewish calendar, okay, on the Hebrew calendar. So that means it's the last of the parshiot, the last of the Torah portions from the Hebrew year of Tashen Pe Gimel 5783. As we move into the new year, Rosh Hashanah, I mean, head of the year, um, coming this Friday night uh, through Sunday night. Uh, so uh, we will change to the new Hebrew year of Tashen Pe Dalid uh, 5784. So um, this is a, a key moment of us that we have made it this far. I believe this is our 47th uh, meeting, I believe, yes. Uh, so we've been meeting all year, covering all these Torah portions together, and it's been um, an honor and a delight to be together. So thank you. So what are we covering today? Uh, as you know, today uh, on the calendar, uh, is September 10th, 2023. It is the Dalid of the Hebrew month of Elul, the 24th of Elul. Um, and we're covering the Torah portion, both of them, uh, from yesterday, the Jewish Sabbath, Shabbat, uh, which was on September 9th, 2023. It started the night of the 8th. Um, and that was on Kaf Gimel, the 23rd of Elul. And we are covering Nitzavim Vayelech, okay, two Torah portions, right? Um, you can find all this in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 29, starting with verse 9, all the way through chapter 31, verse 30. Um, just trying to see if Vayelech is included in that. Give me one second. Um, so hopefully you've had a chance to look at this and study and read it a little. Actually, it goes on. I take that back. Right? Let's see here. Chapter 31. I said chapter 31. Chapter 31, 30. 
no, it continues until, and maybe it is 30. Yes, okay, I'm correct. Chapter 3130. <laughs> Once in a while, I'm correct. Um, <laughs> excuse me. So, as you know, if you've been with us this whole year, we always begin with our covenant, our intentions for today's session, which I will show on shared screen shortly. For those of you who have vision, you can look at it and read it if you're joining us by live stream or video. If you join us by podcast uh, or audio or instant, uh, instant um, insight time or later, um, you will be able to hear on the audio as I read these covenant, these intentions out loud. So I'm going to go ahead and share screen now, for those of you with vision. And so we see this awakening, this time together of sharing Torah, Musa, mindfulness to be an act of radical self-care because we're taking this precious time of 45 minutes a day to learn a bit, of, a bit together and to engage in practice so that we can continue on this path together to take refuge in God, take refuge in the teachings of the Dharma, take refuge in the teachings of Musar, take refuge in community. So that is our beautiful threefold path. Um, so we say we're doing this as an act of radical self-care and our intention for today is that we're doing this to strengthen our own souls in order to be of benefit to others in the future. Now, the second intention is that we're also doing this on behalf of others. We say, I'm doing this to strengthen my relationship to others so that I can be a better conduit of God's good to others when they need me. And then the final intention, the final covenant, is that we're doing this to strengthen our relationship with the divine. However we define that relationship, or however we define the divine. We say, this is something I'm doing to strengthen my relationship with the creator, the one of all the universe, so that I can be a better conduit of God's good to others when they need me. So may we merit this today on our last learning of the Hebrew year of 5783. It's an honor to be here together. Okay, I'm letting go of the screen sharing and the covenant to move into what we're going to learn and cover today. So as usual, I will move through a summary of the Torah portion, in this case, two of them. And then we'll delve into a focus of what we feel like we need to really get out of this this year uh, together to be present. Okay, so as I said, it's a double uh, parasha. And we combine the Nitzavim Vayelech together. Now, Nitzavim is all about the breed that we've actually been talking about and preparing in the two previous parshiot, the two previous Torah portions. So it's a, it's almost like um, this: we're with Moshe Rabbeinu, our great Saba, our great grandfather, our great teacher, um, and. He's, it's almost like we're like in a salon together. We're sitting uh, maybe by the fire and he is telling us what he's going to tell us and he's not getting to it yet or he might get to bits of it. And this is how kind of uh, people sometimes converse together. You know, I'm going to teach you about this and then they don't teach it yet. They announce what they're going to teach. So Nitzavim is all about the Brit, the covenant between God and the children of Israel, B'nai Israel, our ancestors. And the Brit includes everyone. This is important. It doesn't include just the men. It doesn't include just the leaders, the Kohanim, the priests, uh, Moshe and the Zekinim, the elders, uh, the princes, the heads of the tribes. It doesn't include just them. It includes everyone, women, children, everyone who's present, essentially, essentially, who, who are part of B'nai Israel at the time, and even those who weren't there yet, including you and me. Okay? So God promises to be our God, 
and we promise to be faithful. Now, what do we know about uh, Brie, covenant, and any relationship is that we can promise things, and to be human means that you will break that promise, most likely eventually in your lifetime. You will make mistakes. You will not be faithful in some way. This is to be human. It doesn't mean that you are a failure or that you are wrong or that you were made wrong or that you are soiled. Uh, we do not hold or believe this way. We believe that instead, God, Hashem, has given us something called teshuvah, the act of turning and returning and doing repentance. And every time we go off the derek, off the path, every time we sin, every time we make a mistake, that is the ability to maintain that breed, that covenant, and the relationships in general, even with other human beings. If we don't allow that ability to people to make mistakes, including ourselves, and then to take responsibility for it, to get back on the path, to try to become the best version of ourselves over time, we have to have that. It's built into the universe or we wouldn't be here today. So that's it. Now, if we do what's right in the ideal form of this relationship, we'll enjoy blessings. And if we don't do what's right, what happens? There's consequences, right? There's consequences in all of our lives when we don't choose appropriate responses, wise, wholesome behavior. In this case, following the meets vote, but this applies for all of our behavior throughout relationships and in the world today. If we hurt, we cause harm and suffering to the earth, to others, there are consequences. And they might not be immediate to you personally, but they will be there eventually in your lifetime and the lifetime of others. And so what is built in? We can always change our ways. Can we undo what we've done? No. We can't undo what we've done. We have to take responsibility for that and face that that's going to be part of our curriculum now that we will uh, bring in to learn from the Zrat Hashem, God willing. And that that's part of what happens uh, when people are in relationship with you. They have the right to remember what you did and forgive you. Okay? But people don't have to be naive and uh, forgive me for saying so stupid in the sense of like pretending you never behave poorly. As I said, there are consequences for behavior. And at the same time, people are to forgive you, right? Right. And we forgive ourselves. We forgive others. So we can always change our ways by doing teshuva, by returning to God. So Moshe emphasizes that the Torah and the mitzvot are close by and accessible to all, right? They're not up in the sky, loba shamayim. They're not across the sea. They're not on the other side of the world. Okay. As if you need some special person uh, or some special power or a privileged class that will only have access to these teachings. That is not who we are. That is not Judaism. That is not the Torah, the teaching. Okay. This is something that we all can do. And this is the path, right? It's awakening to the path and realizing it is before us. And we have this amazing gift to us to take that step each day to be on this journey towards holiness. All right. So in Vayalech, now switching to the, the other portion before I give you a little bit more summary. Um, Moshe tells B'nai Israel that he's 120 years old and his life is coming to an end. And he will not be able to enter, enter Eretz Israel, the land of Canaan, that will be the land of Israel. So Moshe encourages the people. He tells them not to be afraid that God will take care of them. And Yehoshua will lead them, the next leader that's been appointed. And every seven years on Sukkot, the festival of booths coming up shortly in about a month, there is a massive public reading of the Torah. It's called Hachel, okay? Very, very important event. One that is, signifies something very deeply about the Jewish tradition and about the Torah that is democratic, 
that everyone must hear and learn and have access to the text. Very different tradition coming out of the ancient Near East. Okay. Now, such as that there really is, uh, even though there's obviously different roles um, for like the priest and the Levi'im and uh, the leaders and the Zekinim and the elders uh, and those who hold certain uh, positions, and eventually they'll be king. Um, and then what we have today, you have rabbis and uh, lay people, scholars, Torah scholars, and others. It, those are um, not uh, and shouldn't be given more privilege necessarily, as if they are only the ones that know the Torah and the keepers, right? It's everyone has access to this and something to teach all of us and bring to the text and so forth. There's a message from God in the Torah to all of us. So um, this is quite, uh, quite amazing. Um, it's not as if we have a tradition of what you might call um, monastics of those who uh, necessarily isolate in some ways in order to master these texts and learn them, although you do have scholars and rabbis who spend great amount of time with these texts, more so than lay people. Uh, but the, the, the difference is that there isn't just that class and then the lay people, the rest of us, right? Instead, um, it's accessible to all of us to uh, learn from the Torah and to have a voice. So finally, God tells Moshe to write down the song, the shir or the poem of the Torah and teach it to B'nai Israel, which is quite beautiful. Um, all right. So let me continue with a quick summary. And, um, and then we'll jump in to what I want to emphasize today, which is important to all of us, okay? Um, which is really a practice in the path. There are some really deep lessons in these two parashiyot that I think are difficult for all of us to face. It's part of what we call in um, Theravada Buddhism in the Dharma, um, the inarguables. So there, there's some inarguables, such as that we're all born, we'll all get sick, and we'll all die. You can't argue with those, right? And then there's this also this concept of like pain and suffering, which is built into life. Some people will say pain is inarguable, that we'll all experience pain sooner or later. But suffering is optional in the sense that they say you can choose your reaction, your response instead of reacting. You can choose your response. So you're not suffering. So you're not adding to the pain with your reactivity, which will just cause more suffering. Okay, fair enough if you how you want to make the distinctions, but this thing is called dukkha. And it's more than just pain and suffering. It's dissatisfaction. It's a feeling that you didn't get what you wanted in life, or you got what you wanted, and you're disappointed in it. All these things that is just built in to be human. And we learn this from the teachings of the Dharma that are so wise that really are going to inform a lot that we get from these two parshio today. It's that same, uh, there are inarguables here that we have to face and that Jews particularly really hold on to and struggle with, right? I mean, to this day, you still have commentators who have so much uh, reactivity, for instance, that Moshe dies and does not enter the land. There's this sense of injustice. It's not fair. There's anger. There is, um, uh, yeah, anger towards God. Like, that's not fair. You should have let Moshe in. Okay, so we'll, we're going to look at that. We're going to look at what goes on in this Torah portion. There's some great stuff. All right. So let's finish with our summary, and then I'll jump in. Because I want to make sure I have the background of everything with you. Um, give me one second. Thank you for your patience. Needs Okay. So, as I said, every single Israelite is taking part in the in the ceremony, establishing the covenant with God. Right? Moshe alluded to this ceremony before, but we actually don't know precisely when it took place. Right? What it consisted exactly, the text never explicitly narrates it. 
Now, this is very common in ancient Near East texts. This is a, they allude to ceremonies without narrating the actual performance. And so um, we only get a, a description of the content of the agreement. So um, in, the, in this ancient covenant, it, it really is established by a ceremony. There's proclamation, there's writing of the terms, uh, there's blessing and curses, there's erecting and sacrifice. These are all very common, right? as described even in Exodus 24 and Shemot and Varim 27, uh, Deuteronomy 27. And then there are also acts that symbolize the fate of the violators, right? What's going to happen to you if you don't, if you don't follow? Uh, so one of the key ways is um, the karet, right? Kafreshtaf. Uh, this this concept of breed is that it, you get cut up, you cut up animals, right? There's animal sacrifice, but there's a certain cutting up of animals um, to indicate uh, that one will have a similar fate if one violates that covenant. And then we are to pass through, right? There's literally an overit, I'm passing through between these pieces in order to symbolically uh, say, I've agreed to this relationship to this covenant. It's very powerful. Uh, we don't have to like it or agree with it today, but we don't have uh, the same type of ritualistic, really visceral ways of being in contract, right? In relationship. So that's what we find in uh, Nitzavim. And um, what else do I want to share with you? And. Uh, <clears throat> Give me one second. And then as we move towards Vayelech, it's this Moshe's last days. As I said, it'll continue on to Ha'azinu, the next Torah portion. And really, um, it, it actually is quite beautiful what happens here. Um, I want you to notice everything he does. He takes steps, Moshe himself, great responsibility here, the Mida of Acharayut, okay? Responsibility. It's very important. He takes steps. He does a major address. He prepares Israel for the future. It, he, there is a, there's a conclusion of his death and people mourning. But what does he do? He announced his intimate departure. He lets everyone know, I'm about to die. He appoints the next leader in front of everyone, Yehoshua, Joshua in English, as his successor. He writes a copy of the Torah, of the teaching. He places it in the care of the priests and the elders and gives instructions for the regular public reading for everyone to hear and learn. He urges the people to observe it. He teaches the people a beautiful prophetic poem orally and then deposits a copy of it with the priest and then delivers a final blessing to the tribe. Then he ascends and he dies. Why do I say this is great responsibility? I can tell you personally. I eh, lost, eh, well, my father went to the ancestors about six, seven years ago, may his memory be for a blessing, my Abba, and my Ima, eh, who is still with us, is heading towards the ancestors. I can imagine, I, I'm not God, I don't know exactly, but I can imagine about six months to a year, she's going to pass. And neither one of my parents, eh, especially eh, my Abba, but right now with my mother, um, face that they are about to pass in a certain amount of time and didn't take responsibility of uh, preparing everyone and making sure things everything was in order there was almost this sense of uh, denial is too strong uh, but there was definitely aversion aversion to uh, which is one of the hindrances one of the major obstacles to awakening that when we um practice pushing something away instead of facing what's before us and what we're obligated to do to make sure that everyone's taking care of as best as possible and to pass on that ethical will and those teachings and what you can give before you return to the ancestors. That didn't happen uh, with my Abba and it's certainly not happening with my Ima. We are trying to uh, assist her along, but uh, this is something very powerful that I want you to take from this Torah portion as Moshe as a model of how we can behave if we are blessed to make it to old age, he's 120, um, how we want to head towards death. 
is that we want to take care of what needs to be taken care of right here and now to make it as easy, not easy and as in life is easy, but like it with less harm and suffering and even more weight for the children, and those who survive afterwards. And this is very, very important. A lot of people don't talk about this, how important this is. Um, okay. And I already talked about how the steps that he, when he decided to give us a public reading, how far reaching the significance is, right? Um, this, you know, led, eventually led to the creation of actually sacred scripture of what we call the Bible, the Hebrew Bible, the Torah today. And it's the heart of Judaism. And <clears throat> there's a real democratic character to this, uh, the biblical uh, religion and its teachings and its demands uh, with few distinctions between priests and lay people, laity. And it calls for this universal education, as I point out. And I, I think that's really significant. Um, okay, I think we're ready. I always want to give you so much, but I have to limit what I'm going to share with you. <laughs> Um, what is significant? What's going on here? So, as I said, there are certain inarguables in life um, that we're here, uh, that we'll experience pain and illness and among other things, and then eventually we will pass. And um, we it's up to us to kind of awaken to that reality of life as a human being. And that how we practice around this, how we cultivate our midot, our soul traits, our personality traits over time, we're either going to really um, cultivate wisdom, um, less reactivity, uh, we're going to cultivate a really um, calm, centered, one that we call equanimity and menuchata nefesh, response uh, to the world on a day-to-day -day basis, one that we're going to cause less harm and suffering to ourselves and others. And um, I feel like God is giving us um, insight to this path, okay? Like if we even look first, um, that comes later in what we call um, yeah, the prophet and the V of Yeshiahu, the second Isaiah, right? Um, who tells the exiled Israelites that they are God's witnesses. We get this um, poem by God that says, long ago, I foretold things that happened, right? I let you know uh, life and the inarguables. I let you know that there's a certain way to behave. And if you don't behave that way, there are consequences. There are consequences for good things too. But this is built into how Hashem made the universe, right? Because I know how stubborn you are, right? Listen to this poem, because I know how stubborn you are. Meaning a lot of us will struggle with this path. We won't want, to, we'll argue with the inarguables. We'll try to avoid, we'll try to pretend that we're different, right? We can spend our whole 20s and 30s very famously not facing and seeing that one day we will die. We will get sick. We will have things wrong with us. You know, if we're privileged enough to have not experienced that beforehand, there are plenty of people who do. Okay. Then it says, therefore, I told you long beforehand, announced you things that will happen, right? As they happen, that you may not say this, right? What is it? What our ancestors would have said? My idol caused them. My idol caused this suffering. My idol caused uh, bad things to happen, right? My carved and molten images ordain them, okay? And what is our idol today? We don't, most of us don't have like a physical statue that we are blaming for our pain and suffering, right? But instead, what do we do? We have so much ill will and reactivity uh, often where we will, um, we will avoid facing that, uh, what is our responsibility in this? How much have we contributed uh, to our situation. And if we haven't contributed to the actual situation itself, say it's like institutional, like institutional racism, where it's really not in your power of control to change uh, how you're being treated. For instance, uh, if you're from a certain um, race, ethnicity, class, 
citizenship, refugee status, whatever it might be, it, you still have within you to choose your response to the situation. And if it's going to cause you more harm and suffering as you go on. So, um, you know, and even Rambam and his code on Teshuvah reminds us that, and it's very dramatic language, right? He says, every person, he says, every man, I'm going to change it, Koladam, right? Every person should regard her or himself the whole year round as if equally balanced between guilt and innocence. So that language is very strong for most of us today, but think back to what the Dharma is trying to teach us, right? This concept of karma, which really means consequences. So we walk around and how we behave is either going to have this negative consequence or positive, which is essentially a form of, are we guilty or are we innocent? All right. And um, Kisa goes on to say the whole world is on this scale, right? We know this. It's built into the very fabric of the world and the system. We can't like think on a global level. We can't just keep um, using fossil fuels and burning uh, the world, essentially, and think that we could just go on living and everything's going to be fine. No, we're facing those consequences right now. We're having extreme temperatures sometimes or extreme, you know, either way. We're seeing a devastation of the land, whether it's by um, hurricanes or floods or fires, uh, forest fires and others. You know, this is it. It's built into the very balancing of the universe. Um, this consequence, right? So uh, he just wants us to be in mind that we walk through, we have the ability to walk through this life, this path with mindfulness, with practice on the path to be aware that we want to tip the scale towards repair and connection and wisdom uh, to care for uh, ourselves and others. Okay. So um, I love this about Rav Cook, right? Uh, he goes on to talk about the role of teshuva. I'm just going to jump in with little teachings here and there because I obviously have so much I want to share with you today. He goes, uh, when people, this is from his text. Um, what text is this one? Oh, Orot HaTeshuva, okay, Lights of Repentance. Uh, if you don't know who Rav Cook is, uh, amazing um, rabbi and teacher, former um, chief rabbi uh, in Jerusalem, uh, when it was the mandate of Palestine from the British mandate, okay, so before the establishment of the modern state of Israel. So he goes on to say, um, when people sincerely desire to come back to God, they're held back by numerous hindrances. This is what I want to point out. We have hindrances. We have unbalanced midot, right? We have sloth and torpor where we just get heavy or lazy or tired. We have worry, right? We allow worry to take over that whole movie that runs in our head, that narrative. We have uh, aversion, ill will, uh, denial. I don't want to deal with this. We have clinging and craving, right? Unbalanced uh, attachment, right? That isn't healthy. And, and we have one of the worst, right? Which is doubt, where we just think ourselves unworthy, where we have too much humility, too much anava. And so uh, what's happening here, we, we just don't think we can be on this path. We don't think we're worthy of taking responsibility of doing teshuva, God won't accept us, the people that we hurt won't. So we just don't act, we freeze, right? That whole freeze, run, right? Flee, um, the whole behavior that we can do. So Rav Cook is noticing this. We're held back by numerous hindrances, obstacles. And he says such as confused thinking, weakness, or the inability to remedy those matters pertaining to relations between the human being and her, his neighbor, right? He goes on to say these hindrances are a serious bar barrier and they require complete mastery. So my, my, I would say the language, they require us to practice. They require the Musar mindfulness practice on a daily basis over time 
If you want to call it mastery, fine. I don't like that terminology. I liked we're just on the path, right? And uh, he goes on that, that this is how we will um, mend our ways. And it's a beautiful teaching. Uh, I recommend looking into it about how he says that if you start heading towards Teshuva, you, of course, this rabbinic idea, you will be assisted. And it actually changes the, he takes it from the Torah, the language of, um, of you will turn towards Hashem, ad Hashem, right? Versus the, the other pasuk that comes to say, you will turn el Hashem onto, toward, right? It's also toward, but different understanding. So he says, when we first go about our own uh, on this path, this desire to repent, to return to God, it'll be this really returning uh, toward God. And then God will assist and bring us to this next stage of it really uh, will graduate, he says, essentially, right? If we continue in practice from Teshuvah Ad Hashem to this Teshuvah El Hashem. Okay. So, you know, it, it just, you know, the basics, right? Uh, one of the most famous statements, it, it call heaven earth to record this day, right? I set before you life and death, choose life so that you, your seed may live. And so the rabbis are perplexed by this. They say, how can I choose life so that I should live, right? It's, it's contradictory to them. I don't think we have to get that involved in thinking too much about this. Does it say that when we choose life, that means we're choosing the path. That means we're choosing the practice. It means we are choosing to cultivate, to be awake, to be mindful, to be practicing and taking refuge in community. And that in and of itself is that so that we may live, right? Not only that we may live, but we actually will thrive because we'll be caring for ourselves and bringing God's good to others. All right. Um, I think that's how I want to end with this here today. I think there's one more thing. Um, obviously, a lot we could say more about Teshuva. Um, but we only have so much time. Um, the final thing I want to say is how do we witness? Remember I told you Moshe was so full of responsibility, Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, where he really gets sets up and gets ready for passing and assists those in the next generation. He all along, it's not just as if he hit the rock, but more so attributed the water coming out to himself and Aharon he all along has been slowly aging like we all do. And I don't want to call it deteriorate because that's, that's not it, but we change and we age. And with that comes and sometimes inability. And I would say not just sometimes eventually, if you live in old age, the inability to do and behave and think in the way that we could when we were younger, twenties, thirties, whatever. Right. So uh, that's very much pointed out to us. He's very much a model for our own practice of stop arguing with the inarguables that we are here. We have to make do with what our life is right here and right now. Not try to run away, right? One day at a time, be in community, commit to the path and the practice and accept, accept the inarguables. So this is what he eventually models to us, as painful as it is to him. And I mentioned how as a culture in Judaism, there's a lot of um, arguing with the inarguables. Uh, so for instance, in Devarim Rabbah, they go on to show how Moshe was able to fly up to the heaven like an eagle. And then he now is just asking to cross the river and he's not able to cross the yard then. They see this as negative and as a demise, but this is for me just the reality of life. This is the teaching. This is the Dharma. This is just the reality of life. I might have been able to soar up to the heavens like an eagle, and now I have to ask if I can even cross the yard in and I won't even be able to, right? We all have that thing that we wanted to do or could we do that we can't. It's about accepting the limitations of being a human. Before angels would tremble in fear before Moshe. And now he says, I'm afraid. 
of the anger and wrath. That's great humility. That's unbelievable, Anava, to be able to know that you are afraid and to be able to say it. If anything, I think this is great saging, right? Great wisdom that's being imparted to us. Then he goes on to say, Moshe was a wise man who could beat a city of mighty people and bring down strength from heaven. And now the power was taken from him and given to Yehoshua. I don't think it was taken from him. He participated, putting hands on the next generation. It's time. I'm 120 years old. Am I really going to cross that yard and lead the people? You're arguing with the inarguables if you demand that or believe it. Before Moshe would talk to God like he was the one in charge, take away your, you know, take away from your anger, he says in Shemot in Exodus 32, 12. Forgive the sins of the people, he says in Bamibar, right? In Numbers 14, chapter 14, verse 19. But now he pleads like a beggar, they say. Okay. Listen, Moshe had to go through his own difficulty of arguing with the inarguable. We witness that. He's supposed to be a model to us that he eventually stops arguing. He eventually accepts. And not only does he accept, he models for us great responsibility of how we should behave if we are blessed and privileged to live into old age of what we can do for the next generation, right? So that passing is a one that... Um, is with the least amount of harm and suffering to everyone involved. So with that, there are obviously much more teachings about humility that we must all accept uh, the inarguables in life. <laughs> but I only can cover so much. So let's move into a short mindfulness meditation practice together to work on acceptance. And we do this with a daily sitting practice. It doesn't have to be sitting if you live with the in chronic pain or pain in the low back, and it's just uncomfortable to sit, please feel free to stand in a strong kind of mountain pose, walk back and forth or lie down with eyes open. So you stay awake and alert. If you're seated like me, then you come to the edge of the chair so that you really feel held by mother earth. Allow your hands to rest wherever is comfortable. I invite you to close your eyes. If you have vision and you feel safe and comfortable to do so. Otherwise, I invite you to lower your gaze so that you just limit the amount of visual stimuli. And then we tap in to the full body breathing by inviting the gift with mindfulness of oxygen from God. We say inhalation and exhalation. Now, inhalation this time, raise your shoulders. And exhalation, let it go. <sighs> Feel free to make sounds here. This is a real joy to take in this oxygen. Bezrat Hashem, God willing, we all have clean enough air. I know many of us do not. And finally, the last inhalation to really invite yourself to fully arrive and be here, right here and right now in this moment with me. Inhalation. And exhalation. Now, as you may know, and for those of you who are new and don't know yet, so much of our mindfulness meditation practice is about sitting with what is. And over time, this bearing witness without reacting, watching our breaths, watching our thoughts come and go, watching our emotions come and go, watching the sensations in our body arise, have a certain shelf life and pass. All that practice on a daily basis, whether you sit for five minutes or 45, is building that spiritual muscle for you to be able to bear witness without reactivity. And that is so much of the wisdom of the path and practice to make this world a better place. So I invite you now, I invite you for about five minutes of silent meditation, where to really 
notice what arises, befriending yourself. And if anything gets too challenging for you, whether it's storytelling in your own mind, or say you're having some pain in the body, before you respond, ask yourself, can I be with this? What would be an appropriate response in this moment? We move to silence. From time to time, your thoughts will wander. When you notice it, simply just bring them back to the present moment. As our teacher, Joseph Goldstein, says, simply begin again. It's like teshuva. You get this opportunity to return, to simply begin again. One more minute of silence.
you had your eyes shut, gently and slowly open them back up to allow the light back in. If it's your practice to bow, give yourself a bow to thank God, to thank yourself for your practice, to thank me and your other teachers for your practice, for the Institute for Holiness. Thank you to the Kahila, the community of the Institute for Holiness for us gathering and taking refuge together. As I said at the beginning, I am Rabbi Chassi Uriel Steinbauer, the founder and director of the Institute for Holiness. So grateful to practice and learn together today. Uh, we will attempt to make an announcement when the next time will happen uh, because if you look at the calendar, uh, next uh, Yom Rishon, next Sunday is Rosh Hashanah. And even Erev Shabbat, Motzei Shabbat, no, actually Motzei Shabbat and Erev Shabbat are both um, Rosh Hashanah. So we will not be meeting on Saturday evening Israeli time. We will not be meeting on Sunday. Um, we might be able to meet Sunday after sundown here. So I'll see if we're either going to meet Sunday uh, after Rosh Hashanah is done here in Israel, or if uh, it'll happen on the fast of uh, Gedalia, which is the Psalm, uh, the next day on the 3rd of Tishrei, the Hebrew month of Tishrei. So we'll see. I'll make an announcement and let you know. Um, do subscribe so you can uh, um, learn and gain uh, the updates and information. So grateful again for uh, the sit today, and I look forward to being with you soon. In the meantime, I want to wish you all Shana Tova Umetuka, a sweet and delightful Happy New Year. May you just really be present for it all. That is my wish for you. Take care. <laughs>